Hey, 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 it's me, Katie here. Grab a notebook, add a cuppa, and join me in the sociology staff room. Hello and welcome to the Sociology Staff Room. I'm Katie Tyler and I've got a guest with me, a fellow teacher of sociology and also head of department, John Harvey. Um, as I understand, you've been head of department now for 10 years, is that right? Yep, that's correct. I've Yeah, I've been, uh, been head of department for some time now. I've been teaching sociology itself for about 13 years um, at, at the same school. I've been at the same school all the time that I've been teaching and um, I'm very passionate about the subject. I love it and uh, I try to... I try to get that passion across to the students as much as possible. Oh, amazing. This is what we're here. We're here for a bit of a, like, a sort of professional mm. conversation, really. Um, so first of all, thank you for taking time out of your busy day um, and coming onto the social issue staff room to talk about social theory we're going to talk about, or social action theory. So first of all, actually, I just want to talk a bit about your sort of passion for sociology. Mm. I don't know. Um, where do you think that's come from, first of all? Where does your passion come from in sociology? Um, I, I did. I was quite fortunate. I've been, although I've been teaching about 13 years, I've been out of mainstream kind of school like GCSEs and A-levels for about 20, 24, 25 years. But I think I was, I mean, I, I did the GCSE myself and I did the A-level as well. And then I went on to university and studied as a degree. And I was gripped right from the beginning of the GCSE. I had a couple of passionate GCSE teachers um, in my kind of original school where I grew up and they continued with me into the A-level. And uh, I think it was them really that really just invoked the passion in me. And as soon as, as soon as they started talking to me and as soon as I started learning about it, I could see all of these things around me. And it was, it was one of the first subjects where I was like, oh, we're talking about, you know, at GCSE, we're talking about socialization in the first few lessons. And I went home and I was like, oh, I, I can see it. I can actually, you know, it's something I, I could actually I could actually grasp and I can see in front of me. And I think about some of the other subjects that I enjoyed, but perhaps didn't have the same passion for. We talk about stuff, but it would be distant. It would be stuff perhaps happening in the other part of the world or stuff that had happened previously. And I, I couldn't get that hands-on experience. And I think sociology allowed me to have a hands-on experience um, with my life and with everyday life as well. Hearing this thread more often that teachers who teach social which makes sense, obviously. I mean, in my biased opinion as well, that there is that sort of passion for sociology that is that it sort of makes sense and it's something they can apply to their real life. And um, we had some great guests talking about exactly that last week, actually, um, to sort of doctors from a, an Australian university. Um, but what I'm really interested about as well, obviously, your passion for sociology, and I'm sure this will come across on on your understanding how you teach social action theory is this what we're going to talk about today so um we're at that point of the year that some people are really sort of delving maybe with their 12s into the debates i know that that's personally what i'm going to be doing um after half term is is delving into those sort of core theory debates um i've covered my sort of year 12 option topic and you mm. know education done my methods in context you know i've told them how to do exam questions and we've done practice and now we're really going although i i know like lots of teachers have talked theory at the beginning obviously it's a thread that works through but we revisit it at the end of the year uh and those sort of core debates and try and draw those synoptic links but there will be some teachers including myself you know that take that deep breath and go oh it's theory it, it, it's going to be, it could be a challenge, you know, preempting that for some of the students. Um, why do you think that is, uh, that some students and potentially some staff might find social action theory a bit of a, a sort of, 
I don't know, sort of maybe more of a challenging area to mm. teach rather than something like in and out school factors for argument's sake. Why do you mm. think that might be? I think that theory itself, um, not just social action theory, but theory itself and some elements of theory itself um, have that reaction. And I think it's, it's massive. It's a really big topic. It's not a small topic and it's not a, it's not a topic that you could perhaps do as quickly as, say, families, in, in my opinion anyway, or, or something like beliefs, one of those option topics, um, because there's so much to it. And I think that social action theory as well is one of these that people perhaps look at, say, the trope textbook or, or one of the other textbooks, and there'll be a lot there. And they'll think, oh, my goodness, this is this is heavy going. This is difficult. This is tricky. Um, and I think there's perhaps a, a perception as well that you look at it and you think this is this is challenging and kids could put me on the spot. My students could put me on the spot and I don't want to appear like I don't know my knowledge about it. And so I think it's a difficult one to grasp anyway. And I think in relation to some of those theories like, you know, functionalism, as an example, or Marxism or feminism, they are our bread and butter theories that we are expected to cover in GCSE if we do the GCSE. And we're expected to have covered significantly in the A-level for year 12. Whereas the social action theory doesn't really rear its head too much in the year 12 content. I mean, it, it comes up a bit, definitely. There are elements of the family section where you've got the personal life perspective and you've got, say, Giddens and some of the other contributors that, that kind of give stuff. And in the, in the education section, you've definitely got your kind of labeling. Um, but outside of that, it's, it's not massive. But it is as massive, in sorry, in terms of previous year 12 content, but it is as massive as, say, all of the structural theories combined. And I think that sometimes, you know, we, we, we might look at the, the, the section in the book and we might think functionalism's easy, Marxism's easy, feminism's easy. They're, they're the self-contained ones and social action theory looks like a lot. But really, the way I approach social action theory is I'll break it down into three different sections, three, three different ways of doing it. Because I think that although it is this big umbrella term, it can be broken down within that, much like Marxism, feminism and functionalism. We, we, we wouldn't try to teach them all together at the same time. We would say they're structural theories and we're going to tackle one and then we'll tackle another and then we'll tackle another. And I think that that's, that, that's the way that I adopt social action theory. And, um, and I think that by doing it that way with students, it gives them a bit of a framework to start with as well. Mm, that's interesting because, I mean, out of interest, and maybe this is a leading question, is it something, because I know this is what I personally do, I, I, is it something that you trickle all the way through or do you wait for the debate spit? So, like, um, I know for me personally, like, in the introduction to sociology sort of element, um, I talk about the, the structure action debate. Um, I don't really go into structuration. I sort of earmark it and say, like, oh, I'll talk mm. about that in a bit more day, later. This sort of scare them, listen three, but sort of talk about this relationship between structure and action. And then, obviously, like you said, when you talk about, you know, labeling and you talk about sort of the labeling theory, I sort of talk about the sort of the relationship between structure and action again there and sort of signpost it and then sort of pull it all back together at the end. Or, do you do, I mean, I'm just interested, or do you do all the theory at the beginning? Oh, oh, is that an alarm? That's, that's, the, that's the lesson bell for them. That's at least we bell. know you work really as a teacher in a school and it, it, it's all real. There oh, we yeah, go. it's There's definitely real. <laughs> there we go. But, yeah, I mean, does, yeah, or do you, do you personally teach it right at the beginning of the course? Do you start at year 12 and spend a, a do your theory and methods first? Well, so there's just interested to see how you sort of 
um, plan your academic year? Yeah, so in, in terms of like um, the, the plan for the year, we start off with methods and then we move into education and then we do families in terms of our year 12 content. And when we start with methods, we'll often begin with the kind of positivism and interpretivism bit. And then at that particular point, we'll start planning out, say, a, a basic broad map of sociology and where things go. So we start getting them familiar with structural, with social action, with consensus, with conflict, with those words that we would expect them to know at GCSE. But many of the A-level students that pick it up might not have got it. So we kind of start with that as a kind of recap, refresh, renew sort of thing. And then as we go through the, the kind of topics, we'll then touch on kind of what social action theory is a little bit more. So like, you know, education's definitely got that labelling theory element to it. And we'll talk about what the labelling theory is and why it's different, say, from some of the other explanations that they've looked at before and what makes it different. And we'll think about kind of trying to underpin it with words like micro or macro and then bringing those back to some of those kind of ideas as well. Like, oh, well, if it's macro, who is it going to apply to? You know, it's going to apply in large scale. So what type of theory likes that and then kind of getting the students to make some of those connections and then exploring the other side of it but if it's micro who's going to enjoy that who's going to like that why are they going to like that and try and do those elements and then i think for most students it kind of starts to cement a little bit more solidly when we get onto the family section and we look at say post-modernity and, and you kind of look at, you know, the, the childhood section of the families bit is a great example of that, where you've got childhood and post-modernity. And, you know, you start to need to unpick what post-modernity means. And when you start unpicking the idea of post-modernity and the kind of response of globalization that it is, you know, you can, you can then bring in the action theory a little bit more and you can start to sow the seeds, so to speak, before you get to that theory section. And so that's my kind yeah. of... Yeah, that's, that's, that's the kind of sort of place that I try and take it with, really. And I think that the social action theory section itself, um, it kind of starts off by, you know, the we use the Trobe book. So my references are going to be kind of in relation to that Trobe and Webb book, that, that kind of blue one. But I think that starts off with the, with the best way to start it, which is Weber's theory, um, Weber's social action theory, because that is a combination of structure and action. And I think that, that that gives them something familiar to work with structure. And, you know, they should be at the point when you tackle, I mean, for us anyway, we, we, we try to get them at the point where they're familiar and they're comfortable with words like structure. They're familiar and comfortable with how a structural theory works and how structural theories seek to try to understand and explain our, how our society works. Um, and then you kind of, once you've got that element, you can say, well, you know, action theory from Weber, he kind of uses that structure element, but then he actually brings in this new element here that you've heard of before. And then you kind of see it as a bit of a stepping stone process into, into the rest of the section. And how did you find kids respond to that? Like, um, those sort of introduction into sort of the deeper understanding of social action theory? They find it tough. I think they find it really tough. Um, and I make it really clear to them that it's a tricky topic. You know, I, I don't try and say it's easy in any way. I'm like, it's a challenging topic, but we're going to work through it. We're going to we're going to go through and we're going to take it step by step and we're going to get our understanding of it. And I think what really helps with the social action theory is that you want to try it. And, and I do this with the other theory sections, but I think social action theory is the essential bit. You want to think about your end goal. 
And your end goal with the social action theory, for me, is the application of it towards a 20 mark question and a 10 mark question. And those 20 mark questions in that theory and method section are normally on the basis of how useful is this theory for understanding this? And so each one of my lessons, I'll frame it as that. I'll be like, right, just so you know, at the start of the lesson, we're gonna be looking at this. And at the end of the lesson, we're gonna try and say, how useful is this theory for understanding human behavior? Or how useful is this theory for understanding how meanings are attached? Or how useful is this theory for this? And I think that at the end of the lesson, you come back to it and you're like, right, how useful is it? You, you know, you've got that question, you've set them up from it from the start. But having those questions underpinned in each one of the lessons, I think gives a really good focus for your work and for you in terms of your planning. Because at the end of the plan, you're like, right, are they gonna be able to do that? Are they gonna be able to address that question fully? Are they gonna be able to address it accurately? And those questions about how useful is this, you're gonna change what it is you're asking them about what, what is being useful based on the theory. Because I think that's the other thing that I was mentioning and trying to touch on with social action theory. Social action theory is like Marxism, feminism and functionalism in the way that all of it is very different. No one social action theory says the same as another social action theory, although there are overlaps between them. And trying to get students to recognise that they're actually not, ask, not, not answering all of the same questions, I think is an important element to it. Mm, and seeing there's like, I suppose again, reversing back because you spoke about the structural theories, is the scene that where there's similarities and differences as well and that sort of shows those are high order thinking skills uh what i think sort of i've taken away from that is that you do a lot of sort of scaffolding for the students in regards to to theory full stop that it's something you start off at the beginning you talk about the methods you talk about the core debates like consensus versus conflict structure versus action um and then obviously you go into as i understand education and then you go into the families unit and draw yeah. out those sort of elements of of structure and, and action and as well and then actually sort of concentrate on the debates again when you're looking at uh, the theory and the theory debates. When you're looking at theory theory debates, do you, like you said, you sort of look at each theory and go, right, well, today we're going to look at functionalism, we're going to look at the usefulness of that and the concepts. And then, so like you say for argument's sake, you've looked at functionalism, Marxism, feminism, interactions, and post and so on. Do you then, yeah. then look at how they fit into the structure action debate? Or do you then do the structure action debate first? What way do you go on that? Um, we sort of do those theories first, and then mm -hmm. we move into social action theory um, and look at it. And I think that you know, like that that kind of um, if I've kind of kind of grasped properly, I guess what what your kind of questioning is there is that like, I start with that structure action, and I think that structure is, is that is that what you meant from from Weber? Yeah, what, theory yeah. There, so do or, you go like look at the individual's theories first, and then yeah. look at the debate? Or do you look at the debate and then look at the, the theories? Like, do you do the overarching debate first? Oh, I see. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Um, a bit of both. Yeah. A bit of both, in the sense that I kind of, you know, like we we kind of give them an endpoint, and I think that's kind of, you know, at the at the start of each one of our topics, we kind of give them the endpoint that we're going to work towards. And when we start each new topic as well, we do a little bit of a refresh and recap over what other theories might have already said and how we could bring them in and kind of kind of make those um, connections within our curriculum um, in terms of kind of thinking, right, what's been said before? How could it be applied? But we do, in terms of the social action theory itself, um, I do try to kind of keep it kind of as its own 
as its own theory to begin with for them. Like, this is what it seeks. This is what it tries to explain. Um, this is the debate they have. This is this is the kind of thing that they're interested in. Because, I, I don't, like, I get the... I, I think, you know, I love an analogy. And I, I know that sociology is full of analogies. But I, I always get, you know, the feeling that... Um, Social action theory is almost like it's playing a different sport to what functionalism and feminism and Marxism are. And so therefore, you're going to be having very different debates potentially within the social action theory, much like that, you know, those other theories are almost playing a completely different game. It's like, you know, one's playing chess and the other's playing drafts or one's playing football and the other's playing rugby. They're still playing a game, but they're not playing the same game and they're trying to do something very different from each other. And you've got people within the social action theory like some contributors there that try to bridge the gap between the two. They, 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 they try to kind of show how they might be playing a version of the same game together. And that's where you've got your Weber and you've got your Giddens with their structuration, or you've got Weber's social action theory where they try to bring it in. And you've got some crossover there with the debates, but the, there is enough there as well to not have crossover with the debates as well, if that makes sense. Hopefully yeah, that yeah. does. Yeah, no, and that's, that, I think we're demonstrating quite well how that's something I feel from what you're saying is, is demonstrate what you just said earlier, that how the students can sometimes find that a quite a challenge because some of those debates are quite um, new and different and not as, as distinct as some of the core things. And so you sort of set that out, you sort of manage expectations to begin with. Um, and so I think we just sort of demonstrated that, like to say, because they are a, sort of can feel a bit out there, mm. the ideas for students. Just interesting, and I realise I'm sort of thinking these questions as you're talking, I'm thinking all about this. How then do you weave that into theory? Like, I'm not theory, methods, like the the approaches and the theory. Like, how do you sort of weave that then together? So say the students understand social action theory mm. or structural theories, how then do you weave that into the methodology element? Um, do you mean it's sorry can you re, can you rephrase that for me please? yeah sorry so how do you because you mean in terms of research methods itself or yeah do you mean in terms yeah of, so like how does theory impact on the research methods how do you yeah. weave that in at what point and how does that work so i think that's 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 something that you start for or we start anyway right from the beginning and i think if you're really clear on underpinning with students what positivism and interpretivism are and how they approach research methods uh, and the type of methods that they, that they do like and they don't like, that gives you a really nice framework for when you get on to the theory section. And all of the other units, you know, when, when you're looking at some of, the, some of the key studies that have been done in some of those education or families or beliefs or crime units, you know, you, you can kind of underpin some of those research methods there as well. And you can point out stuff like, you know, oh, well, they've, they've, they've done this type of method here so what type of sociologist are they so what type of perspective would they belong to and i think that's kind of some of those you know if you think about kind of also some of those really tricky tricky exam questions when it's like what what type of you know i think i've seen one before which was like an outline and explain 10 marker which was about kind of functionalists and what, what type of research methods a functionalist would use and i think that if you start building those connections and building those bridges between between the theory and the method early on, then you start putting yourself in a good spot for when you come back to that theory section as well. So like in the role of education, we're looking at functionalists. Who do functionalists want to apply their research to? 
everybody. So if they want to apply it to everybody, what do we know about their methodology? What do we know about what their goal for sociology is? What do we know about what type of methods they would use to try to reach that goal? And I think that, I think part of it is really clearly signposting it to students and not leaving it to chance. And I think for a long time I did that, I did not clearly signpost it to students. And I think that's one of the things that I've definitely learned over the last kind of five or six years is to is to make the implicit explicit for the students mm. so, so that they know. And I think that, you know, saying to a, a student, oh, functionalists are positivists pretty much because they like these methods, because they like these, you know, because they've 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 got these goals. They've got the same goals as what as, as what they've got and they've got the same way that they'll try to reach those goals. And I think unless I don't know, for our students especially We've got quite able students, but I do feel that they need that they need some of those connections really explicitly spelled out for them. Like this is this person, and therefore they've done this because of this reason. It's almost like these chains need to be filled for them. Yeah, I think that's really important. I think you said two, sort of two things that I thought of, like, to sort of, of pull those out, sort of summarise it. Is obviously it's that consistent. Um, I think you said the word connections made throughout um and also signposting to students really early on and uh, the phrase you use which was and uh, make the implicit explicit which i think mm. is sort of really important i think especially as a sociology teacher that may have a degree in sociology and not all of them will have a degree in sociology but sometimes our sort of knowledge with the assumption the students might know those connections and sort of magically expect them to understand that at the end of the course isn't always the case and i think you used a phrase which is uh recap refresh renew is that is mm. that right yeah where and can you tell me a little bit more about that because is that how you sort of ensure those connections are being made explicit basically so yeah i guess as well that we're, we're in a position where i kind of like I've, I've got two ects as well with me that are doing an absolutely fantastic job really really stellar job and they've been working really hard for this year and, and one, one's an ect one as well but because of the way that that we teach things is that i don't necessarily teach everything um and that we have split classes so we we share some of our classes together um and so Part of it is that is that they will come to me and I don't know what they've done. Um, I, I don't necessarily know what they've done with the other teacher. And so I think that recap element is really good. And also, you know, let's say that they have learned from the other teacher functionalist role of education. And I'm not going to touch on that at all because I'm doing the educational achievement section, let's say. Um, when they then come to me in the family section and we start talking about functionalism, like I, it's always really, you know, I think it's really important for me to get a grasp of what they already know. And so that recap section gives me a good idea there, but it also allows them that, that kind of refresher. And then it allows for any misconceptions to be to be filled and to be and to be challenged at that particular point as well. And that's a kind of that, that kind of renewing element there as well. So I think that like my, my own personal teaching style is that I do I do a lot of recap anyway um if i find an area that i can do some recap i'll do some recap if we can do a mind map or a spider diagram together in a lesson then i'm happy do you know what i mean like i i, I love i love kind of um being able to ascertain their prior knowledge and their previous knowledge but i think a lot of that's really important for sociology generally because we're, we're, we're not one of these subjects where 
where um, necessarily where we kind of always introduce some brand new things. Quite a lot of our things that we've got is that, oh, we've, we've, we've touched on this already. And now it's time to explore it from this point of view instead. And ascertaining what they've got already is their knowledge. Uh, it gives you a good framework to kind of work on. And that's the kind of, that, that's kind of my practice and, and kind of one of the areas that I kind of think I'm quite perhaps strong at as well. Yeah, definitely. I think that's so important in, like you said, in sociology is that sort of layered approach. And we're mm. quite fortunate, like you said, that we haven't got to teach brand new information. So like, for example, once they've learned really functionalism again, I know we talk about social action theory, but I think that maybe the principles are potentially the same from what you were saying at the beginning, is what do we already know? You know, what do we know already about theory? What do we know about them in education? What do you think they're going to say about family? What do you think they're going to say about crime? And sort of seeing those common threads in what, what they say. And then, like you said, like, renew that. It's like maybe it's like shift, shifting what they might be saying about something slightly different. Mm. Um, I always find that with crime, actually. I find the students typically think functionalists are going to be like anti-crime and very much like not seeing the function of it, although the word functionalist. I think they always think it's going to be about everyone thinking the same and that's it um they don't really sort of start thinking about the sort of the positives that might bring to society mm. necessarily um and so they oh that's not what i expected first of all but like like you said if you sort of build those foundations in place then the students feel more comfortable talking mm. about something that seems a bit new as well for them yeah and so, one of the things we do as well which like I, students don't use it all that often but they but they should do is that we they've, they've got a learner handbook for us uh for, for gcse more than a level and we'll give them in their in that gcse handbook like this is what a functionist thinks like a basic spider diagram of functionalist marxist feminists um just for the gcse section and it's like functionists believe that everything and like it's block capital everything has a positive function and there's like four things for each theory just as a general framework so that when we look back on it like i'll say get can you get your learner handbooks out please and then we'll have the learner handbooks there and it'll be like right so this is what you know always having the forefront in mind this is what they believe this is what they think and we're going to apply those ideas to this i think it's that application element that is the kind of that you're then focusing more on yeah, definitely. And like you said, that sort of refresher and going back to things that they already know acts that for refresher. I'm interested because there's one thing I definitely did want to ask you was how, because obviously in sociology we have quite a lot of non-specialists and obviously I said, you said you work with ECTs as well. With something like theory, how do you, how do you support or how would you recommend supporting them in something that potentially the students find difficult and then for some teachers that might be new information to them as well obviously pe good pedagogy is good pedagogy irrespective mm. of whether you're a sociology teacher a history teacher and so on um, what strategies because obviously you sort of alluded to the fact that you don't teach every single class and that you have to share classes what strategies do you put into place to ensure there's sort of high standard of of knowledge of theory or their expertise in theory that is consistent across all classes yeah so i mean We've got a bit of a kind of shared resource bank um, that we've all got access to. But then I'm also very open, like just, you know, if you don't get it, ask questions. Just just ask, a, you know, ask me. Or if, if, if I don't know it for whatever reason, we'll ask one of the Facebook groups that are out there that are kind of, you know, really, really good with lots of specialists in them as well. But I think that kind of openness and that willingness to the sense that, you know, like just to ask, I think that that's sometimes, you know, it can be a bit scary, but like, we're, we are a big subject, we're a broad subject. And, you know, students expect us to know everything, but it's impossible for us to know absolutely everything and all elements of the course. But I, I don't teach 
any of the kind of culture and identity bits. So I would be really stumped potentially if a student was to ask me a very specific question about that. But that's because, you know, I don't necessarily know about it, but that doesn't mean that I wouldn't ask a question to someone else to try to get that information. And so I think being able to have open and honest dialogue about what strengths are and what weaknesses are is a really good bit in terms of going forward. Um, I think we're quite fortunate um, that, that both my ECTs are um, specialists as well. They've, they've got degrees um, either in sociology or criminology with elements of sociology as well. And so we've been able to be quite lucky with the students having people that are kind of quite well versed in the content to begin with. But open and honest conversations, I think is really important. And being, being prepared to share your lessons and your planning um, and put yourself out there as well. So recently as part of our kind of subject specific CPD that we did, we did some lesson planning together and I kind of brought a few of my lessons along and I've been teaching for a while, but I was like, look, these are my lessons. Tell me what's good, tell me what's bad. Like, what do you like? What do you not like? And I, I try to be as open and honest with them as possible to try to encourage that as well. And I think that I think that's really useful in terms of helping to build knowledge um, and just being approachable as well. Or trying to be as approachable as possible in busy environments so that if they've got those questions, they can come and see you um, and, and, they, and they can speak to you about it. And I think that's that's especially true, perhaps, with non-specialists when they get to the phenomenology and the ethnomethodology bit of the textbook uh, and, and the spec as well for the kind of trove uh, and web book that's mentioned in there. I don't think that's necessarily explained in the most user-friendly way at times. And it takes a lot of reading and rereading and then reading between the lines to get to grips with that. And I, I, you know, I think that going back to one of the kind of first things we said about social action theory is that you're, you know, sometimes you look at it and you think, I've got no idea. I don't know. It doesn't make sense. It's just saying words. What is a phenomenon? You know, what is phenomenology? What, what does he mean? Who is this shush? Who is her? You know, Herschel. But take the time to ask questions and unpick it. Um, it's definitely an approach that I've put in place. Mm, and sometimes those quotes, I mean, I'd, funny enough, I put a, a, a quote from Mead up yesterday. Oh, yeah. Um, and just to sort of unpick it with the students. And I said to the students, you've got to remember that there is a time context in things as well. So how we would mm. interpret it, which would fit in with actually uh, the social action theory approach that what was meant then may be mean something very different today because of your engagement with that and how you interpret um, in different contexts. And so I think having that open dialogue is, like you said, mm. is really important. And also with with staff and having that open door policy where you can have those discussions with colleagues uh, and using the sort of network and support that's out there. I think that's that's the key. I think we're very fortunate within the sociology um, teacher community that we've got the Facebook page, we've got maybe schools locally. I think we 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 are able to support each other. Um, without the fear of, of criticism or anything like that. I mean, I've, I've, there's been so many guests on, the, on this podcast that have contributed their time, like yourself, and are willing to share ideas and contribute. And I think that's really, really the key, that if there, if there are any teachers out there, you know, post something now, you know, like once you've listened mm. to this and they say, oh, well, actually, they've mentioned some concepts there, I would like to know more about that, you know, post it on the Facebook page and, and there will be contribution, there'll be no like judgment there on that, for, mm. for sure. Um, thank you. For sharing no, your fine. time. 
And I appreciate you've got your working school day. There's, you know, you know, you're giving up your time in your day um, to talk to us. But yeah, I think it's lots of takeaways from that uh, conversation. Start the scaffolding early on. Uh, revisit renew. Build on the building blocks the students already know. Um, and don't you know don't be afraid to ask questions um mm. as well so thank you so much for your time john i really really no appreciate worries. it and good and, luck no, with exam season no that's thank you very much really really appreciate that and just one one kind of you know final thing that i would say i think i mentioned this but kind of just being really clear on that kind of how useful is this how useful is this theory to understand this um, I think having that in the forefront of your mind whenever you're teaching them and being able to say to them at points during the lesson, how useful is this theory for understanding human behaviour? How useful is this theory for understanding why you've come to my lesson today? Why you've done, you know, what, you know, I think that's the, I think for social action theory, that's a really useful way of being able to get them to think about that theory itself. Um, and going back to that Mead bit, uh, my personal strategy there with Mead and Bloomer is I bring in a really mouldy banana. And I say I say to I say to them, Oh look, I've I've got I've got a real treat for myself today and I've got one for another person in here as well. And I put out a banana that's really kind you know, that's started to go brown in all those places, uh, that would put some students off to understand how kind of we all attach different meanings to things and that I might have attached one thing and one way of thinking to it and how they might have attached another way. Oh, I've used that, that for my them. next lesson. <laughs> <laughs> that, is my thing. that is a really nice one. That is nice because what, what did I use as an example? I don't know what, I, I waffle about lots of things, so I don't know what I use as other, but I think I was just talking about films mainly, like how we walk out of a film and we mm. attach different meanings to different films and that we add to them over time and, you know, it's it's... It's ongoing, uh, but I like that because it's quite a nice visual aid, isn't it? Like mm. you know, something like that, or like Marmite as well. <laughs> yeah, that's that's also a good one. And you know, for your kind of potential low ability students that would struggle with kind of a concept that's a little bit more mm. conceptually tricky, I find you know that that kind of visual thing, as you've mentioned, it's kind of like oh, it just clicks. It's that light bulb moment for them. And I'm just... bringing in that banana. I'm going to bring in that <laughs> banana. Um, definitely, that sounds like a good a good one. Because, yeah, I think like you said, it's it's that's the, not, even though we're just low ability students. I think sometimes that hook, that memory yeah. of that, that's really really good. So mm. um, thank you, thank you for no time. Worries, you're you're welcome. Thank you for having now, me. So I feel like you've used your last break with your <laughs> PPA. Um, but have a lovely weekend and thank you very enjoy. much you too. thank you thank you so thank much you. thank you that's all right take care thanks. Bye-bye. bye bye sociology stuff room is brought to you by tutor to you sociology find us at tutor to you.net forward slash sociology or follow us on twitter at tutor to you sock or instagram at tutor to you sock you can also join our very lively facebook groups for sociology teachers see you soon